Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he gave us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Word of God for our special consideration this morning is our first lesson, Acts 2, verse 14 and 22 to 32. Dear friends and followers of the risen Christ, it was a very good thing that it was the Holy Spirit who prompted Peter to get up and preach on that first Pentecost Sunday, and that it was the Spirit also who, who gave him the words to speak to the crowd that had assembled. Because if Peter had thought too hard before getting started, operating with his own strictly human strength and wisdom, he likely would have struggled. Sure, he had always had a reputation for speaking up, but this is the Peter who had learned a hard lesson not too much earlier about watching what came out of his mouth from his claims of eternal loyalty and his subsequent three-peat denial of his Lord. No, if Peter had had a few hours or even 20 minutes to plan his sermon that day, I imagine that he would have felt a kind of paralysis trying to figure out what to say and whom to aim it at. In that crowd, there would be people of the party of the Pharisees, highly religious Jews who, who saw themselves as scrupulously following the Scriptures. There would also have been residents of Jerusalem who still felt guilt over what happened with Jesus, that they had allowed, perhaps even themselves, cheered his crucifixion, even though they knew that he had been innocent and had only died because he had had powerful, envious enemies who wanted him dead. There would have been people in that crowd who knew about Jesus from his teaching and perhaps even witnessed his miracle working, but who would have heard the reports that he rose from the dead and laughed at them as unreasonable impossibilities. There would be some in the crowd who, who wanted to believe, wanted to believe in a, a risen Christ, but whose doubts were just too strong, and others who didn't think much about Jesus at all because their lives were full of despair and their hearts were empty of hope. So if Peter planned his preaching, whose situation would he have in mind? Should he focus on just one? What could he say that would reach them all and meet their all of their particular needs that day? But as I said, it was good that he didn't have to think that through. The Holy Spirit led him exactly where he needed to go and aimed his words exactly as they needed to be directed. Though he had a lot to say over the course of his sermon that day, and he said it to a wide array of people, there was really only one purpose to his preaching. Confront them with Christ. Other truths and other proofs were still important, but it all came down to that one essential element, showing people Jesus their Savior crucified for their sins and raised to life for their justification. This is what mattered most for everyone in the crowd that day, and it is still what matters most for everyone today. 
for you, for me, and all the people that we deal with or encounter in our lives. The Holy Spirit, working through Peter, sets us an example and shows us how to speak about the most important thing there is. And we might say that he was just following the example already set in the upper room the week after Easter, as we read just a short time ago. While each of the disciples gathered there had his own needs and questions, ten of the eleven had already come to believe that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. The eleventh did not believe because he had not been there to see Jesus the week before, and whether it was more from an unhealed heart or a skeptical mind, he refused to believe without more proof. Though certainly the others had tried all sorts of ways to argue Thomas into faith in the intervening week, nothing they told him could break through his doubt. Only one thing could. He needed to be confronted with Christ. And so Jesus came and appeared to him and showed him the wounds in his, in his hands and in his side and spoke to him. And not believing was no longer an option for Thomas. And so he recognized Jesus as his risen Lord and God, and he became believing Thomas. There's a valuable lesson for us in this when we are dealing with doubts, whether in our own hearts or in those of other believers. Satan loves it when we let problems and challenges loom large in our thoughts, leading us to question things about our faith. The one thing he does not want for us is for Jesus to loom large in our thoughts, because when we confront our questions with Christ, doubts disappear. It's not that anyone's struggles with matters of faith should be minimized or ignored. It's that in Jesus, we find answers for our questions and certainty for our souls. A crucified and risen Christ is proof of God's love for you and for all the world. Proof that Jesus is the Son of God. Proof that God's Word can be trusted. Proof that we have nothing to fear in this world. Proof that our sins are forgiven. Proof of life after death and so much more. When we confront doubts with Christ, doubt becomes faith. And undoubtedly, there were some in the crowd that day who were dealing not so much with doubt as with despair. Maybe they were those who had looked to Jesus to be an earthly Messiah and Roman routing king of the Jews, only to have their misguided hopes crushed when he was killed. Or perhaps they were simply people whose lives were crushing them. Slavery or poverty, abuse in their homes or lovelessness in their marriages, whatever it might have been, their present lives were full of pain and hardship, and they had no expectation of anything better for the future. So what did Peter do? He told them 
the same thing that he wrote about in his first letter, as we read earlier, told them about the great mercy of God the Father who gave us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He confronted the hopeless with Christ. And in showing them a Savior who conquered death and the grave for them, winning them eternal life, he gave them hope. In seeing Jesus, they gained a faith that drives out fear and looks forward to whatever God gives us next with joy and eager anticipation. So we learn, too, that the best prescription for hopelessness and despair is not any kind of platitude or well-intentioned assertion that things will get better. The best prescription instead is to point people to Christ. Your problems will always look huge when all you can see are your problems. But put Jesus in front of them, the real resurrected Jesus, and soon those problems begin to fade. Because you know that the one who defeated death and solved our problem of sin can most certainly handle whatever trouble you are facing. You can always have hope because Christ is your assurance of something infinitely better than whatever your present reality might be. But Peter's sermon that day also had some steel and fire in it. He was not afraid to address the elephant in the room, what the people of Jerusalem had done to Jesus. He didn't dance around it or allow them to just point the finger at others. No, he confronted the guilty with Christ. This man, who was handed over by God's set plan and foreknowledge, you killed by having lawless men nail him to a cross. They could not evade their responsibility for the killing of their Savior, no matter how much they might want to. And in the same way, no one today can escape the guilt of his or her sins, many seemingly small, but all of them great offenses against the Almighty and His holiness, and all of them sins for which Jesus died. Every one of us by nature is a sinner deserving of death and hell. No matter how much any of us might try to ignore that fact or or pretend it's no big deal or assume that a certain life of good works that we choose is sufficient to cancel it all out, none of it, none of it removes our guilt or undoes what we deserve for our disobedience. So the guilty must be confronted with Christ just as Peter did on Pentecost. First, so that they see their sin and its consequences, and then so that they see in Jesus their Savior from it all. Those who cannot or will not see their guilt before God will never appreciate that they need Him to remove it. The cross and the empty tomb will be essentially meaningless to them. But once they are shown what they have done, shown what happened to Jesus, shown what He did for them, it will all have meaning beyond measure. 
Of course, there was a group in Jerusalem that day that was especially guilty. The Pharisees, chief priests, and elders of the people who had plotted Christ's death. The irony was that they were the group that should have been most innocent because they were, they claimed, the most religious and the most respectful of God's holy scriptures. So when Peter confronted them with Christ, he showed them the Messiah that they should have welcomed, the one that they saw do the things that only God can do, the one whom David spoke of in the Psalms and whose resurrection from the dead David prophesied, the one who God raised up from the dead just as the Scriptures said. The actual men who had schemed to send Jesus to the cross may or may not have been in the crowd that day, but there would still have been plenty who considered themselves religious in all the same ways. And they, they needed to have their bubble burst. They needed to know that they had taken sides against God, not with him. And so they needed to see Jesus as their Savior too. And it is not just Jews today who have this same problem with Christ, of counting themselves religious and yet having taken sides against God. There are plenty of religious people of all types, even within many Christian churches, who refuse to see Jesus as He truly is and recognize what He came to do. They all need to be confronted with Christ in just the same way. To see their error in opposing Him. To recognize God's purpose in sending Him. and To repent and put their faith in Him instead of whatever religion they previously practiced. Now there's one last group that Peter managed to address with his sermon. It probably included many of the foreigners who were in Jerusalem for the festival. We might call them the unknowing. The people who simply did not know who Jesus was or what had happened to him, let alone why any of it mattered. What Peter preached that day told them all they needed to know. Told them that God in His grace and wisdom had sent Jesus of Nazareth to defeat sin and death for all people and that He had done all that He came to do. Christ had died, yes, but He had risen from the dead, and all who hope in Him will also rise and live as He did. That is a message that hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of people today need to hear as well. And some of those people are in your lives as friends, neighbors, relatives, acquaintances, people you have not yet met. They do not know what they do not know. And so we need to confront them with Christ so that they can believe and be saved. It is the only way. Just as Peter, some weeks later, told the rulers of his people, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. 
You see, this is the pattern that we see throughout the book of Acts, not just with Peter, but also with Paul. Whether the audience is a Jewish synagogue or a Gentile crowd, whether it consists of serious scholars or the merely curious, the goal is always to get to the gospel, deal with the objections, present the evidence, but always to confront them with Christ so that they might see him and believe and be saved. You may remember how Paul affirmed to the Corinthians that he knew nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in following the apostles' example, we realize that all too often there is one more type of person who needs to be confronted with Christ. The unwilling, our own sinful natures. We know the truth about Jesus, but we would rather keep quiet and go about our business without talking about him, especially not to anyone who might have questions or even worse, objections. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's just plain selfishness. But whatever it is, when we put Christ before it, we see it for what it is. Jesus did everything so that we and so that every sinner might be saved. And so we are now eager for every sinner to see Him and know His salvation. And when we do, we know that we can count on the Holy Spirit as Peter did. You don't have to preach Just tell what you know. That's what witnesses do. We don't have to have answers for every objection or an outline that addresses every person's particular personality or needs. One Christ fits all. The struggling Christian, the skeptical scholar, the religiously resistant, the spiritually ignorant, whoever and whatever. Show them Jesus. Show them their Savior so that they and we together may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. Amen. Please rise. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and in his grace gave us eternal encouragement, be with us and bless us. Amen.